0: Over 7 million different animals inhabit our planet. This is a lot to learn about the black mamba from Africa. What can they teach us? Uh,
1: Studying how it can be used as an alternative to opiate medicine, opiate drugs, for pain relief.
0: Many species are in crisis and need your help. Join the movement at allcreaturespod.com Welcome to the All Creatures Podcast. This is Chris. And I'm Angie. So we're we're jumping on the, another reptile today. It, it's because I did mention we haven't done a lot of reptiles. is those poor amphibians, we'll get to one soon. But yeah, we, so we figured we'd do another one. Oh, I'm really
1: excited today, Chris, to talk all about the black mamba.
0: Mm-hmm. Going to Africa. This one's pretty famous because it's highly venomous and... A lot of incredible facts.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's probably one of the most feared snake species in the world and definitely in Africa.
0: No, for sure. For sure. Now, the last snake we did was probably some of the most venomous snakes in the world. Episode 175. Sea snakes, right? Yep. Yep. And then before that, we did what? One of the most, the longest snake in the world. Probably one of the most famous.
1: Oh, the king cobra! I think that's honestly, I think that's our most downloaded episode. King yeah, cobra. so
0: yeah, we saw that. so We're like, oh yeah, we we got herpers, so we got
1: to
0: <laughs> yes, snake. yes. Yeah. But this one, yeah, th- 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 this is a lot to learn about the black mamba from Africa. Yeah, well, Kristen, I didn't
1: realize too that the black mamba is the fastest
0: land snake in the
1: world, close to uh, that, yeah, and the longest species of venomous snake in Africa, and yeah. then. And then, of course, right behind the King Cobra, which is the longest in the world. I
0: still can't get over how big King Cobras are. Like, they're huge. <laughs>
1: they're yeah. Enormous. Well, in doing the research this week, I couldn't get over how big Black Mambas were. I didn't realize That's they right. got that long. Right. Uh, so, yeah, it's just a, it'll be a really fun episode. I learned a lot. In fact, I learned a really incredible thing about Black Mambas this week that would have served me big time before I went to Africa. Uh-huh. Which is the fact that black mambas are not black. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> and I know all of our Herb fans out there are like pulling their hair out and yeah. saying like, uh, how did you not know that? And I am I guess it's that whenever I go to Africa, I tend to focus on the mammals. And I've just recently gotten into birding uh, there. But it should it would have been helpful to know that they were black. Uh, because I could just see me, oh, look, look at this pretty gray, olive colored snake. Let me get closer to it. Yeah. yeah. One of
0: the uh, most deadliest snakes in the world. Yes, yes. Yeah.
1: So if if you only listen to the first five minutes of this podcast, the take home message is that black Mambas are not black. So I know.
0: There are a couple right. pictures out there in the internet well, and
1: we'll and we'll talk about uh, yeah. in different species and taxonomy, but green mambas are green. so I think that's where I was con- <laughs> right, I, don't right. know. I can't I can only blame my mom brain or just uh, that's why we do this podcast right to 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 learn each week. so
0: absolutely. well, I did. and when I Googled it, you know, start looking at the photos and there's like this beautiful photo of a black snake, and it's like a black mamba, and I'm like, that's not that's not right. Because I, you know, after you know doing the research, you know they're not black, but yeah, they aren't. It's their black mouth that's Mm -hmm. where they got the name because of their mouth.
1: And another fun fact is, I asked John that question at dinner tonight, and he also did not know that they were not black. So I didn't feel too bad, seriously, John. Mm, (laughs) And he did. He uh, I hadn't tried to guess why where they got their name from then and he you know he's pretty clever he he said their tongue which eh, it's more their mouth but it's inside so stick with us and hopefully you'll learn lots of other fun and awesome facts about the black mamba
0: well and the reason we're going back to africa is we're, we're releasing a series of interviews if you've been following us on social media we've been leaving some hints about this and this week we have dr lucy kemp down in South Africa, who is doing a lot of conservation work. She's basically helping lead the world in saving the Southern ground hornbill, which is the hornbill John wanted us to cover. I
1: know, he's really excited about this interview.
0: So she comes in and and talks a lot about the work she's doing down there to save them because they are heading quickly towards extinction. Now, she is one of six recipients for this award from the Whitley Fund for Nature. And they reached out to us and asked us if we wanted to interview any of their winners. And Angie and I, after watching the award show, we both were like, we're going to interview all of them.
1: Right. I mean, we can't pick one. They're, <laughs> no. They're so inspirational. Oh, they're all heroes. Be, because what's really awesome about the Whitley Awards is that they're like for grassroots conservationists. And so... As much as we love the World Wildlife Fund and other, other bigger names that we've interviewed and mm-hmm. supported mm-hmm. throughout this podcast because they do fantastic work, it is great to support some of these grassroots organizations that really need the grant money that's provided, number one. And then, of course, the press and getting getting these le- more obscure species out there and getting the amazing work that these conservationists are doing from Us to you, and then hopefully you'll share um, some of these episodes to help them grow.
0: Absolutely. I mean, Sir David Attenborough narrates each of the award winners' videos. He's involved with this fund. Princess Anne, you know, she is involved with this fund. A, a, A lot of big conservationists, a lot of people with a lot of money are involved with this. Anyways, talking to Lucy tonight, well, tonight for me, in the morning for Angie, we're interviewing one of the big winners. Each one of these winners, like I just said, they're conservation heroes. These are true heroes out in the field and you want to hear their stories because it, it just gives me a lot of hope. It gives me a lot of drive to do what we do and to tell these stories so so look for that interview and then the the interviews coming over the the next few weeks you know we've been hustling hard poor Angie and i and <laughs> i just got a baby on one arm and i've got two little boys coming in and out of my room i mean even my my 10 year old was sitting with me while i interviewed uh nikulu in india late at night just fascinating people so look for that and then also obviously on our website allcreaturespod.com you can go there. I will embed the videos so you can listen You know, to, to Sir David, talk about each of these people. It's just fascinating stuff.
1: Well, what's really cool, too, is the Whitley Awards considered like the Green Oscar. And I wish I could be more into movies. I wish I had time to watch movies. Yeah. Chris, you're, you're a pretty big movie buff. You get yeah, to watch yes. a lot of movies. Yes. And although I do have a huge conservation crush on Leonardo DiCaprio, the normal Oscars, forget about it. Mm -hmm, I can't sit mm -hmm. through it. No, These green Oscars, these interviews are so inspiring. They're like a game changer for me. So I'm really proud of this work that that we're doing. So please check it out and feel free to share.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and then each of these people are getting their communities involved. I mean, you got to listen to the stories. You have to.
1: And Chris, before we uh, jump into the Black Mambas, I want to give a huge shout out to BCR1980, for giving us a glow and review on iTunes. Thank you so much uh, for saying we're the best podcast ever. So thank you, BCR1980. We appreciate it. Giving us five stars really helps uh, circulate our podcast throughout iTunes. And, if you, and for all of our listeners out there, if you haven't done it yet, we would really, really appreciate it.
0: Yeah. And then for all of our Patreon supporters, you know, Jade and, and others out there that, that have joined us recently and, and still have supported us. I did put uh Nikulu Fom's zoom talk with me uh, up there. So uh, a couple more of these, we'll, we'll hopefully put the, the zoom chat on there so you can watch the interview and listen to it on there on Patreon. So we're trying to get creative and put more stuff on there for our supporters. So thank you so much for supporting us, Angie. Let's talk about this snake. Let's describe this snake. You've already given away that it's not black, <laughs> right? Spoiler
1: alert, yeah. once again, not black, uh, contrary to its name, right? Uh, but the black mamba is more like gray, a brownish gray, khaki, olive. In one article, it was even described as gunmetal, which Ooh, that's I didn't. I yeah. didn't know about that and so i had to look up gunmetal and gunmetal is a fancy word to talk about shades of gray right the different tones of gray gray brown color and it's funny because in college one of my friends had a band called i think it was golden gunmetal
0: <laughs> okay
1: and i think i don't know if they were punk rock or what guns and, and roses
0: no no that yeah i
1: i i, I just I thought it was just a cool name. I didn't realize it was like gold and then gray basically is what they were saying. Or I don't, maybe they didn't know, but they were pretty smart uh, dudes. So they probably knew anyways, uh, gunmetal. So yeah, just a really gray brown color. And the black mamba is, it's a very like long and narrow snake, almost like cin- like a cylinder, Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not one of these like if you think of like a ball python or an anaconda yeah. as, like it's really thick constrictor not at all. Um obviously it's a venomous snake and it's just it's very thin and narrow. But the black mamba's head is really unique and beautiful in my opinion. It, it uh, its head is almost coffin shaped mm-hmm. and similar to the king cobra. It has like neck flaps, but they're really they're much smaller. No, definitely not as pronounced as in, in the king cobra when they kind of open up their necks. The uh, the neck flaps on the black mamba are much more subtle. And then the belly of the snake it can almost be a yellow cream color too. And the eyes are going to be dark brown or black. Uh, and of course, the tongue is like a blackish color. And then. Where it gets its name from is the hue in its mouth is an inky, dark blue, black color. When it mm-hmm. opens its mouth, the inside of its mouth has this, this dark, dark color. So uh, definitely- I As I say, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you read my mind. I was like, definitely something out of a horror movie. Definitely yeah. fearful, right?
0: Yeah, something I don't ever want to see in my life. It's interesting about the hood because I didn't know that, but the lapids, you know that these mm-hmm. these snakes, like the king cobra, does have that hood structure. So, the, the, there's you're right. It, it's not very big, but they have it.
1: Yeah, and it starts it starts more at the base of the skull, uh, and just yeah, just goes down a couple vertebrae, not too far, and it's it's not as wide or pronounced, but it is definitely there and a unique feature compared to most other venomous snakes.
0: Right, and then when you were talking about them not being thick, right, like a like a python, I mean, their average weights are five pounds, seven pounds if they're really big, because they're really long. They can grow up to be fourteen feet long or f- over four meters.
1: That's what blew my mind. I, yeah. I don't know why. I, I guess I thought that they I thought they were smaller. I had a lot of misconceptions. This was a very important podcast that I should have done like ten years ago before I went to Africa for the first time.
0: Right. Because I mean King Cobras can almost be over 19 feet, like the longest ever recorded, which still blows me away. Cause whenever we talk feet or you know, like 10 feet or you know, uh what is that, like three meters, three and a half meters. I think of a story in a house. And so I look and I'm like, twice that for a snake is insane. That's huge. And so this is, you know, one and a half times that they're, they're very long. And again, they don't weigh a lot. I will say their fangs, you know, you always think of snake fangs, you know, cause like you see the artwork and stuff of King Cobras and stuff. Their fangs are only like 0.26, a quarter of an inch or six millimeters, so they're not like daggers.
1: Well, yeah, Chris. And what was really interesting to me a few weeks ago, I don't know what, I, what research I was doing, but somehow I stumbled upon a snake skull. Well, we haven't covered snakes. So why I was looking at snake skulls mm-hmm. late at night, who knows, right? Yeah. Uh, John's a, he's a he's a lucky guy, right? But, <laughs> but what struck me was the front fangs of a venomous snake there are holes at the end of it. Right. And when I stopped and thought about it, I was like, well, of course, it's how they inject venom from their maxilla, from the glands, right, in mm-hmm. their mouth. They produce the venom. But I guess seeing the skull, it just really struck me. of how ha- What an amazing evolutionary adaptation. And I don't know. I, I, if I was on a quiz show and you would have asked me a couple weeks ago, I, I guess I didn't I would have maybe said that it was just like secreted through their mouth, like that the fangs poked the hole into mm. the victim and then the glands maybe just uh, secreted it. And then it went yeah. into the victim. Yeah. It wasn't until I saw this basically like squirt gun, right. right. through their yeah, yeah, Through yeah. their fangs yeah. of high powered, you know, injecting this venom where I, I, I it just, evolution is so uh, blows my mind. And and, uh, and of course, and I had to wake John up and tell him and, and he was like <laughs> – He's like, oh. I
0: know. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and I mean, I think I knew it too. It was just visualizing it from this really – I forget. It must have been a – I think it was a rattlesnake or something. But uh, this skull was just – it was gorgeous for lack mm. – I mean, I'm, I'm a dork, clearly. Yes. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, it was it was really, really incredible. And so – Anyways, that well, we—I
0: was... mean, I, they're hypodermic needles. I mean, they, they are. Right. That's what it reminded needles. me yeah. of
1: all those yeah. blood draws I had to do in grad school.
0: <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. And one species we you were talking was making me think. Yeah, maybe we'll cover it in the future. Is the spitting cobra because they can squirt that venom using those fangs at a pretty good distance to blind any some I think predators that are trying to go after them. They'll they'll squirt the venom to get away. They don't use it to to hunt. Now, jumping back to mambas, these these obviously live in Africa. Think savannas, rocky hills in southern and eastern Africa. So you're looking at, you know, South Africa, Mozambique, Botswana, Zimbabwe, Tanzania, Kenya, Zambia, you know, Angola, those regions where black mambas are. Now in the 1950s, there was reports of black mambas in West Africa and like Senegal and Gabon, but it's disputed. They haven't found them since. So they don't think they're there. It's mostly Southern and Southeastern Africa where Angie was running around chasing wildlife.
1: Well, yes, Chris, looking at the range of the black mamba, this once again is why I'm just like kind of upset with myself for not knowing that a black mamba is not black because their range is exactly where I've been the three times I've been blessed enough to uh, spend some time in Africa. Uh, I've been to Zambia uh, two times and then also Tanzania and then more recently uh, South Africa, Kruger national park. So it's found in all those places. And I of course have not seen one, uh, but now when, not if, when I go back next time, hopefully with my boys, uh, I will know what I'm looking for and I will be able to educate them. Which I wish I wish one of my Herper friends had done for me.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just any snake in Africa or Australia, you know, just get away from. <laughs> it's
1: just Well, I mean, I love ball pythons. Yeah. They're like my favorite snake. I when I worked at the zoo, I just they were just such an incredible species to work with. I, I actually liked all the snakes I worked with. I, I I was not trained in the hot snakes or the venomous mm-hmm. snakes. So I didn't get to work with any any venomous snakes. But uh, for the constrictors, yeah, ball pythons, corn snakes. I
0: could go on. They're beautiful, Angie. You know, respect them from a distance. And especially when it comes to the venomous snakes, I know there's a lot of fear. We're going to talk a little bit about this more in a second. But snakes are just such a critical part of our ecosystem. They are, I think, one of the creatures on Earth that is the most vilified.
1: Absolutely. Mm Mm-hmm.
0: But they're, they, they are they they are so important. Snakes are so important to so many things.
1: Well, number one, Chris, they're important for rodent control populations. I mean, nobody wants mice in their house, regardless of where you live. Uh, and so they, they do a great job at, at keeping those populations down. And we all know that too many rodents can carry diseases and make people sick and things like this. Uh, so that's number one and number 2 where they are on the food chain is snakes can actually provide some meals for other animals for other other predators
0: that's funny you mentioned that cuz you know what made me think of black mambas and why i suggested this is because when i was talking to to lucy she was talking about the ground hornbills and again why it's fascinating why they need to be protected because they are definitely different from the great hornbill that we just covered a few weeks ago you know, they're in these these groups, so the young hornbills need to learn how to hunt. And so the older hornbills show them how to kill black Mambas, among other things. Crazy. So they actually Yeah, That's so they incredible. train them. Yeah. Wow. So, you know, they are part of the ecosystem, right? I yeah. mean, it's just so critical.
1: And if if number one and number two haven't convinced you, but the number three reason why you should care about uh black Mambas, they are a venomous snake, but By the World Health Organization, which of course has been in the news a lot recently, uh, the black mambas are classified as a snake of medical importance. So although the bite, uh, the venom from a black mamba can be deadly, and Kristen and I will talk a lot more about that here in in a little bit, there are several compounds in the venom. And I won't bore everyone with the details. I definitely dorked out and read about all the... All the different types of proteins and acids and just, it's just incredible. Because in 2015, researchers have actually done a whole complete protein profile of the black mamba venom, and they found 41 unique proteins, what, Mm -hmm. Uh, and a unique Mm -hmm. nucleoside. In one of these unique proteins, which is called mamba mamba ligands, which obviously they named after the black mamba... Researchers are uh, studying how it can be used as an alternative to opiate medicine, opiate drugs, for pain relief, uh, because this unique protein can reduce pain and the pain sensation um, in the rodent model. And the cool thing about these mombligans is they use different pathways uh, than opiates, because we all know opiates are very addictive and things like this. And so yeah, it's 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 pretty exciting research and it has the potential to help humans, right? Mm-hmm. Uh and so I mean, yes, being bitten by a black mamba is potentially life-threatening and scary. Uh as we understand more about the unique proteins and how how it does what it does, the actual biology behind it, uh humans it, can stand to benefit from insane. it. It's insane. It's insane how it works.
0: I mean, I call it a cocktail of death, but it's <laughs> not for us. I mean, it does kill us, but it's not meant for us. It's meant for their prey. Right. You know, mainly well, rodents and things.
1: Well, and I obviously, you know, I don't, I'm don't. i not a chemist by trade, but mm-hmm. I, I love molecules after, especially after my dissertation, studying, <laughs> studying different Lots phytoestrogens and all these things. Yeah. but. But boy, I, I kind of – one of the rabbit holes I went down, which I will not share with our listeners, is just venom and all – it's like it's yeah. made of – like there's these things called three-finger toxins and dendotroxins and mm-hmm. they, they all act like this cocktail of – like you said, this death cocktail of different proteins and uh, and uh, nucleosides and just other molecules, they act – to do, like different things they act on the nervous system in different ways
0: well uh, I and- I kind of went down that rabbit hole too and it because that venom is just so insane so I just briefly like to make it tangible you know the dendrotoxins so you know th- again this cocktail of death they all for like you said 41 different proteins doing different things Binding to different cells, causing different reactions, all meant to kill that prey. So the dendotoxins excite nerve terminals, right? Then the neurotoxins come in and basically paralyze muscles. So you're breathing. We talked about this. The heart, the breathing, and then these muscarin toxins come in and they're cholinergic receptors oh, it, it the biochemistry is insane but it, you know causes muscle twitching so it the whole thing is working together you can see this cocktail working to kill this rodent quickly so it can't get far so then the snake can go and track it down and swallow it it's insane nature is nuts yeah well and with these mom this
1: uh this protein of interest in uh, the black mama ven- venom mm-hmm. it's really fascinating because this protein when it's just by itself it can relieve pain but not slow the breathing rate down and opiates are known to do that They'll, they can uh it's a potentially dangerous side effect of them right uh as if they slow down breathing so it's just it's just really interesting and they all and work together right one doing yeah. one thing one doing the
0: other so you know what we can learn from nature i mean the 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 black mamba is number 20 on the most venomous list obviously the the inland taipan in australia and then the sea snakes and then the coastal taipan everything in australia and then sea snakes you know the brown snake <laughs> yeah. you know shout out to our friends down there Chantel and others you know there's a lot of uh lethal snakes in this part of the world we actually had some up on the new zealand coast a couple months ago wash up you know on they're like don't touch them these sea snakes yeah i'm like no uh so the mom is only 20th now i was going to talk a little bit about snake bites today because there is some truth that snakes are deadly they are deadly and in africa twenty thousand people a year are estimated to die from snake bites but black mambas are very small small percentage of that now they believe that's That that could be underreported because a lot of these bites happen in rural villages. They don't get reported. So it could be more than that in Africa, but that's what we know. Now, worldwide, we covered this in episode 191 with Corbin Maxey, Maneaters, Myths, and Truths. So, you know, we did this last October during covid And while sharks were like 6 to 10 per year, bears less than 5, hippos 500 per year, snakes were number 3 on the list, with an estimated number of 100,000 people per year die from snake bites. Now, in the United States, it's about 5 per year, Australia 1 to 2 per year, because where these people are getting bitten and dying are in these very rural areas. And I guess the the gist of this story that I'm going to tell is we need more anti-venom and, you know, more modern medicine in these parts of the world to help these people. So they don't die from these snake bites, but in, you know, industrialized nations, we have anti-venom and people do survive. I found a a very fascinating study and it was a, a case report of a black mama venom bite in Kenya that was in the tropical medicine and infectious disease journal just a couple years ago. And this happened to a 13 year old boy in the Jimba area of Malindi. And what, what he, he was outside playing like most kids do. He was in a bushy area. He was suddenly bit on, on his leg. So, you know, they, his parents rushed him home. They, they did this, you know, with their belief system, they, a black stone was placed over the bite and they were praying. But within just a few minutes, he started frothing at the mouth, started having labored breathing. So they rushed him to the health facility where then they took him to this BioKen snake farm thinking they might have antivenom there. Well, they didn't, but that was an hour drive. So here you have one of the 20th deadliest snake with venom in the world bites you. This 13 year old child goes for an hour. You know, this is you're going hour, hour and a half after being bitten. They get to the snake farm. The snake farms like we don't have the anti-venom, but they took him straight to the hospital. So then they started giving him treatment. But by that point he was sweating, hypersalivating his blood temperature was down to 96 degrees heart rate was through the roof like he was dying and actually his heart stopped twice you know stopped twice but because they gave him anti-venom he pulled through this young kid pulled through so that's what this whole case study was was all the symptoms with a black mamba bite but the fact that they had anti-venom he was able to pull through which was like an hour and a half two hours later which is an amazing story because by all rights, this this young child should have died or te- almost teenager, I guess teenager, not young child. This teenager should have died. You know what's funny about this story, Angie, is after this experience, he is now volunteering at the BioKen Snake Farm where he's taking care of captured snakes, even after going through all of this.
1: Wow. Yeah.
0: Yeah. He's going to be a, a snake it's- expert or conservationist.
1: Yeah, well, I was reading that. Um, for instance, in South Africa, from 1957 to 1979, as far as venomous snake bites goes, there was over 2,500. 75 of them were confirmed to be black mambas, and about of those 75, uh, 21 died. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. And and a lot of those didn't receive – most of those didn't receive anti-venom. And so the anti-venom is really, really critical. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, I'm just thinking back to, the th- you know, the times that I've been to Africa. I mean, definitely when I was in North Luanga in Zambia, I was – John and I were <laughs> nowhere near anything remote. And when I was in Tanzania uh, in Tarangire Park, mm-hmm. I still think I was pretty far from any – that that was a little bit more of an organized trip. So maybe they could have called somebody like in a helicopter or something. I don't know. Right. And Kruger probably Kruger probably would have been fine because they have a lot more resources, uh, I right. believe in Kruger National Park. Um, so but yeah, I mean that that is a huge. thing I just think of problem. Allison
0: there in the the boat. North Luanga, that's where
1: John John and I went yeah. and visited her. Yes, and she was by herself a lot of times. And when we were when we were there with her, it was just us three. Yeah. So yeah i mean
0: out in the bush like oh i mean john
1: and i from the capital lusaka i think it was like a 13 hour wow drive um now some of that's just because of the ruralness of the area and the roads and uh me driving uh on the other side of the road with a and the other side of a stick shift too which was (laughs) amazing john did great too and that's when i fell in love with him like wow we're, we're in, we, we didn't have any we didn't have a radio or anything in this uh this vehicle that we rented to get up to north Luanga, mm-hmm. and so we we had to talk for like 13 hours straight so we got to know each other pretty well it was
0: yeah fun. that's when you knew you fell in love with yeah. that man that's yeah i think it, i
1: think it was before then i wouldn't have asked yeah. him if this could come with me to africa if i didn't like him <laughs> that much but yeah i
0: know it was awesome yeah he's awesome he is awesome So what happens with people when they're bitten by a black mamba? This is kind of, you know, the the onset of symptoms that start about 10 to 15 minutes once you're bitten. So after the bite, you know, there's no swelling or bleeding. You will start like start suffering allergies, like stuffy nose, watery eyes, maybe get a little sick. Okay. Then a few minutes later, you start sweating profusely, hyper salivate, may throw up. And then within like 20 minutes, labored breathing starts where it's really hard to breathe because your lungs start to be paralyzed. The muscles of the, the, the larynx, pharynx, whatever, the muscles that support breathing start to be paralyzed. And that's where the victim starts, you know, general paralysis starts to set in. Then a few hours later, the victims, you know, start thrashing, you know, muscle twitching, things like that. And then the whole cardiorespiratory system collapses and they die, you know? So it's not within a few minutes, you're going to die from a snake bite. This takes, you know, a couple hours to happen. And so it was a miracle that 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 teenager survived it. Now, so in this paper, they said some things that you should not do, you know, because again, this is for tropical medicine. So this is telling doctors how to treat Black Mamba Bites or any snake bite, for that matter, really is do not make incisions and suck the venom from the wound. That never works. It doesn't work. It's it's by the time it's you're bitten, it's that
1: should have been at our number two cliff notes. So number one, black mambas are not black. (laughs) black. (laughs) Number two, if you do get bit, do not suck the venom from the wound.
0: It's does not work. It does not work. Tying a tourniquet or you know. Cutting off circulation does not work. Uh oh, interesting. Packs, it doesn't? No. No, they said no. Oh. Ice okay. pack is contraindicative. I think it's because... I don't know why. You know, I'm not a doctor of that. <laughs> I'm a doctor of animal physiology. I'm
1: say, you're a blood flow guy, though.
0: Yeah. Hmm. I, we'll, have I to, mean, we'll have to think about that one. It's probably because you're cutting off circulation to a limit. And by the time... I mean, I'm a blood flow guy. I mean, think about it. By the time... You were bit in the extremity. By the time th- by the time you get something tied off to that limb, right? It, the venom's already, already in your body. It's already circulating up sure. through your heart. It mm-hmm. it the blood circulates so quickly through your body. It's not like a couple minutes and that blood leaves your leg. It's within a few heartbeats that blood is up out of your legs or through your arms. So it's like and you know if you. Ever had an IV, you know, where you can feel the saline. The going cold through. sensation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's quick. It's within a few seconds. So Oh, know,
1: that epidural with my first two words. Oh, that sure. was <laughs> sweet, sweet goodness.
0: Oh, Angie, no. Uh, number
1: three, no time for
0: epidural. Yeah. And I cried. Oh. Uh, but you, you, you it was women worth are it. amazing. You're amazing. <laughs> You're amazing. Three babies. Uh, I don't know how you girls do it. It's just, you're amazing. So anyways, that's, it's, it's probably why, cause when you cut off blood flow to limb, you can, you can do a lot more harm to the limb. Like it can die, you know, because there's not oxygen flowing to the tissues. The tissues can die. You can amputate. you know, losing your whole arm or leg. That's what they're talking about. I think, you know, cutting off blood. So that, that's, that's why it doesn't make sense to do that. Uh, ice packs do not help. Snake stones obviously do not help. Herbal medicines do not help. So anti-venoms help is what (laughs) is what in supportive care, you know, with breathing and, and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. Now, how to avoid snake bites for everybody anywhere in the world, just leave snakes alone. Do not mess with them. If you are out hiking in the bush, you know, leather shoes, boots, whatever you can stomp, walk, Mm walk, walk noise. heavy do not creep through the bush
1: well my boys love playing at the barn uh where i ride horses and in the hay and just and you know they're boys they're little boys they're running around doing everything and so uh especially in the springtime and things like this i tell them actually it was good advice from uh dibby which is the woman that owns a farm i love her she's like a, a second mom to me but she oh it it taught me to teach the boys to always like lead with, uh, if you're going somewhere new, have like a stick and kind of check around things or like you said, or a foot, you know, even, or, uh, with a boot on it, like never put your hands in a hole Mm -mm. or in a dark crevice that you don't know about. And I think that's just really good life advice (laughs) in general, not just on the farm where there's venomous snakes around. And so, yeah, make noises. I mean, in general, we're going to talk about a little bit when we get to behavior as far as black mambas, but eh, most snakes are more scared of you than you are of them. In fact, one of my best friends, Tristy, uh, her mom taught us this advice when we were in junior high or high school that, uh, Boys are like snakes in the grass. They're more afraid of you than you are of them. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's true. It's but it true. is. I mean, it re- it really yeah. is. And especially like, yeah, if you're making noises and uh, and yes, like using a stick to look in holes and uh, things like that, then you're you're gonna help protect yourself.
0: Right. All right. Let me get through evolution. It, it, I know it took a while to get there, but really talking about the venom and and I felt rather than do a conservation story today it was really more about snakes and and hopefully help people not get bit out in the wild because we have a, we all go out hiking now i will say in new zealand i don't have to worry about it there's no snakes here except the sea snakes that wash up on the north shore every now and then you know don't have to worry about it in the bush but when i go over to australia you can sure as heck believe i will be out with a massive stick banging the ground here comes chris here comes chris here comes <laughs> exactly chris. i do not want to or what do we learn
1: with coyotes go away coyote yeah. go away
0: haze <laughs> them yeah <laughs> go away snake here i come
1: hello everyone you may
0: recognize me as gabby from the history of everything podcast and my name is Bruna. and you don't recognize me from anything yet
1: but it's not just conspiracies. There's a lot of cool mysteries that we will attempt
0: to use science to explain, such as near-death experiences, what made the vikings go berserk, and can i control my co-host with mk Ultra? Wait,
1: what? <laughs> anyway, make sure to check out the mischief everything podcast everywhere where you find your podcasts. All
0: right, black bombas is of the order squamata. I had to to throw this in there because this is the largest order in reptiles, the snake, lizards and amphibians, worm lizards. Well, we're going to have to cover one of those. That's cool, yeah. But these are this squamates, I think we've mentioned that before in, a, in an episode, but 11,000 species. That's incredible. Now, this makes me smile because this other order we just covered, cephala, there's only one species in this whole order. Ooh, ding, ding,
1: ding, 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 ding,
0: tuatara. I know. I was like, oh my God. It was just, it was crazy. That's what makes the tuatara so amazing is they're on their own in their own order. Now, like I said earlier, these are lapids or lapidae, king cobra, sea snakes, you know, all the venomous snakes, generally tropical in the Americas, Asia, Australia, Africa, and like I said, New Zealand off the beach. But you're talking over 360 species of snakes. And then the the genre of the black mamba is dendroaspis. So it means tree asp. But these are the mambas. And like you said, the green mamba is part of this genre. Mm-hmm. So, so you have the eastern green mamba. So this is the one you see in Kenya, Tanzania, over in that area. It's a beautiful snake. Oh, beautiful. yeah. They're really – that's so pretty the western green mamba. So there's over in in Senegal and Gabon and those areas, the black mamba and then the jameson's mamba which is more central Africa. So there are four species. Now again quickly we you know I know it's been a while since we've covered a snake but you know snakes evolved from lizards 175 million years ago. The transition from snake, lizard, limbless—it's still controversial. They're still arguing about it. Why they lost their limbs is controversial, and they're still working on that. But one of the earliest fossils is is southern England. So shout out to Pip over there.
1: Awesome, uh, you know, yeah. One hundred
0: seventy million years ago is one of one of the first snake fossils uh, were found. You know that long ago. Now the diversity of modern snakes happened after dinosaurs went extinct after that large extinction event and the first confirmed venomous snakes was in africa about 25 million years ago with the elapids so this family very cool reptiles are very awesome you know as far as black mambas they can live in the wild about 10 11 12 years under human care 20 years you know typical for a venomous snake i think and then Angie said, this was fun fact, one of the fastest serpents on earth can slither up to 12 miles per hour or 19 kilometers per hour. Now, can you outrun a black mamba?
1: Not right now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you probably could. Well, if you had a baby in your arms, maybe not. Well,
1: well, I usually have. So right now, the few attempts to uh, jog uh, postpartum. I have the stroller, the dog, uh, the extra baby weight. So no.
0: Sorry. Sorry. You just have to outrun. Well, even Rainbow will outrun you. Um, yeah, yeah. 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 All right. So Black Mamba is 12 miles per hour. Okay. That's that's their their top speed. The average sprint speed of a human is 15 miles per hour or 24 kilometers per hour. Okay. So you can out sprint it. Yes. But the average, so I, this is I love doing this, these stats, because I just love saying this stuff. The average human speed over a mile. Okay. Is six miles per hour or 10 kilometers per hour. So you could probably do that over a mile if you were motivated.
1: So yes, Chris, I usually can do about uh, was it uh, ten minute miles? Yeah, ten minute is, miles. That's I try average. to go under that um, on a normal, on a normal run under normal, uh, not postpartum yeah, <laughs> situation yeah. going on. Or when like if I run a five k or something, I want right. to. I usually start out seven eight minute miles and then slowly take my way up. Yeah. Until yeah. The,
0: out jogging, I used to run ten minute miles, and then when I was in the army, I could run an eight minute mile, and and I think seven and a half was was the best ever Ooh, I ever did. Yeah, I've
1: was,
0: I was getting beat. I mean, there's guys oh, in, yeah. in the there army that were running six people. minute miles. Yeah, mm-hmm. they were crazy mm-hmm. fast. I, I'm I'm not a distant runner, but okay, so ten minute mile, you will get caught by a black mamba over See, long I distances. Love that. <laughs> over long distances, that. That they <laughs> average seven miles per hour. Or 11 kilometers per hour. So they would catch you over a mile. So, no, you can't outrun a Black Mamba. But they're not going to chase you. They just, they, they are not. They don't want anything to do with you. But they just said, like watching these things slither, it, it, it's crazy. They can lift like a third of their body off the ground.
1: Now that's what is very yeah. fast. I tried to find a video of that. I, I mean, I found a lot of videos of them up, but not them like going fast with the the third half of their body up. Uh, but yeah, it's pretty. They they can zoom along with their heads held high. Pretty. I mean, they have every right to.
0: They're <laughs> amazing creatures, right? Right, yeah, oh, it's just yeah. They said it's just something to see, and and I know we talked about the Jacobson's organ. It's worth repeating here. You know, it's this. It's how they smell, how they sense their environment. The forked tongue, you know, slithers out. They pick up those molecules, bring it into their mouth. It is those air particles are transported up into the nasal ducts, and that Jacob's organ. And they sense what's in front of them. And then when we explained it before, I think it might've been in King Cobra, but it's that that left fork. If the molecules are coming from the left fork, they know that's the direction of their prey. If it comes from the right fork, the prey's that way. Or if it's even, it's in front of them, right? I mean, that's that's kind of mm-hmm. how it works.
1: Yeah. Well, and with their eyes their 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 sights mainly used for detection of like sudden motion. So if there is something sudden, then they'll that'll also encourage them to strike. And they don't have any external ears, but uh black mambas are really good at detecting vibrations um that come up from the ground to also encourage them to to look for movement and to start maybe smelling uh or using their tongue uh for movement.
0: Mhm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. That's why you that's why you, you you walk around, you know, uh, slamming the ground. I mean, even my my friend down here, Sask, she's from South Africa. She was telling me about black mommas because I was talking to her the other day. She said as a kid they they told her, you know, avoid them at all costs and and just make a lot of noise, you know, so so they avoid you. Mm-hmm. Now we talked about their diet, Angie. I mean, mostly rodents, right? Small mammals. Yeah,
1: rodent squirrels, hyraxes. I thought of yeah. you when I read that. Since yeah, a uh, little bit of research uh, there. Done some researching in, uh, in hyraxes before. Uh, bats, bush babies. That made me a little sad. We need to cover bush babies uh, sometime. And they, they do normally prefer to eat warm blooded prey, uh, but there have been reports of black mambas consuming other snakes and reptiles. And they will sometimes eat birds, like I mentioned. Uh, they often strike multiple times, uh, and as Chris mentioned earlier in the podcast, after they inject venom in their prey, then they basically wait and for the prey to become unable to move and paralyzed, and then they they find them and then they swallow them whole.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's with that forked tongue. You know, they they kind of see where they ran off to, and then find them, and then yeah, yeah, swallow. Mm-hmm. Now, you did we did talk about the southern ground hornbill will hunt them. It, I did read the birds of prey, so mm-hmm. the different eagles from Africa, and then some of my my favorite mammals. So the mongoose we're going to have to cover at some point in the next year, and then yeah, our how do they favorite,
1: do it? Right, I don't know. It's incredible, Just
0: quick. Yeah, just quick, and then our all-time favorite. Just does not care about anything. Honey badger don't care. <laughs> just the best. I still, that's still my favorite episode. Episode 10. I just, I, I, I have it memorized. Just amazing. Yeah. Honey badgers, they're, they're, they have some sort of, a. I wouldn't say they're completely immune to the venom, but they can withstand some of it. But, you know, I'd be curious to see what the statistics are on, on how many honey badgers actually don't survive. You know, a black mamba bite or something like that. You know,
1: right? Yeah, no, it's it's still incredible that they can even how they deal with the venom. It's just incredible.
0: Yeah, no, it's just amazing physiology. So snake behavior. I mean, these we know these are not aggressive.
1: No, they're shy. Black yeah. mamba is shy. That should maybe be cliff note number three, yeah. uh, as far as main takeaways. And they're definitely wanting to escape from you if and when they are confronted. But like Chris and I said, one of the best things you can do is let them know you're coming, whether it's your voice or just before you look into a termite mound or underground or in a hollow log, use a stick, not your hand, uh, things like that. And black mamas typically prefer to be on the ground. Although they can be found in trees, so look up every now and then. I'm always looking up for leopards, so that's not a problem yeah. I, problem for me. I, uh, it's, I need to pay more attention to like on the ground, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and they're gonna, they're diurnal, so they're gonna be active around uh, sunrise and sunset. And then they're often observed uh, sun basking during the day and, and their favorite spot that they'll return to frequently if, if they don't feel that there's any danger. And when they do feel danger, they typically will flee. Um, however, if they are cornered, um, then, and they can't avoid confrontation, right? They can't avoid you because uh, you stuck your hand in a hollow log or something like that, or they're cornered. Uh, and then they, then they can become pretty aggressive. And what you might see with this aggression display is, um, they'll raise up a little bit. Like if you think of a Cobra, they might open the small, they might open up their, their small hood flap and, Open their mouth, show you their open mouth. Hiss, of course. Uh, and if they continue to feel threatened, they're going to strike. And uh, a lot of times they will strike multiple times, so uh, which can proceed to rapid, rapid envenomation of of the toxins. And then, hopefully, you can get some antivenom if that happens.
0: No, absolutely. I mean, yeah, that yeah, just. Again, they they don't want to be messed with. So,
1: no, and they're gonna they're gonna display warning signs typically before they strike. So, mm-hmm. hopefully, if if you do see that, you have the ability to turn and run the yeah, other direction. And
0: that's why it's accidental. Like, there's just right not, they're or not get out of their percentage.
1: way, things like yeah. that. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, yeah, not a large percentage. Now, reproduction—it's you know, always mm-hmm. interesting with snakes. Egg laying, you know, any maternal care. I mean, we've seen some cool stuff. I remember the rattlesnakes. I was talking yeah, way back when.
1: Uh, I know. Oh, rattlesnakes. I just—that's such a fascinating fact. No, no, no. Uh, uh, maternal or paternal care with black mambas, but I did find some pretty cool male dominance kind of wrestling behavior. So with black mambas, they typically mate during the spring. So that's also a time where they're maybe going to be a little bit more aggressive than normal. Uh, and what will happen is males will compete sometimes to uh, breed with females. And one of the behaviors they do is known as plating combat, which is, that's P-L-A-I-T-I-N-G. This is a new word for me. It's basically a snake wrestling match uh, where if uh, somebody like myself, that's not a trained herpetologist. If I saw two snakes kind of intertwined, moving, writhing back and forth, I would maybe think it's a male and female breeding. But with black mambas, that's not the case. It's these two males that are intertwined with one another kind of twisting and turning and raising up and slamming down. And they're doing this plating combat behavior to win a female. And what struck me is really incredible is they're doing this wrestling and it goes on and on. There's a video that I found online and we can put it on our show notes, which was uh, the first time this plating behavior was reported in black mambas they don't bite each other. They rarely inject their venom into one another. And I mean, that's just, it's like mad respect, right? Like I, you know, it's like basically, you know, they, 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 they drop their guns and their knives and they're like, let's, let's arm wrestle, man. You know, (laughs) know? I mean, cause if you think about it, it's like, I really want to score this female. I could just bite you and kill you. Right. Unless maybe, I don't know, then maybe, maybe Maybe they're not affected by their own venom. I don't know. These are questions that we need a you know a, a specialist in here for. But yeah, in general, they just do the wrestling behavior, and then the stronger snake wins, and the mm-hmm. and the loser of the battle, I guess. I I guess he takes off his top hat or whatever and says,
0: you you know, okay,
1: you, you you win. I don't know. Uh, and then the more dominant uh, male will proceed then to, uh, breed a female. And once the male approaches a female, he'll flick his tongue, um, all around her across her entire body. And if she is ready to breed, she'll lift her tail um and then they do have a, a prolonged uh breeding or copulation uh session and what i found was a little romantic for black mambas is after breeding both male and females will return to uh, the den or uh, wherever uh the female's going to lay the eggs so i thought that was kind of cute yeah. Yeah. uh and a female she typically will only breed with one male uh per breeding season But what's fascinating, Chris, and we've seen this before, is she can store sperm for months or even years, depending on.
0: Reptiles are insane
1: with that. Yeah. I know her nutritional status. And so, but typically, uh, a healthy, mature uh, black mamba female will lay her eggs about two to three months after being bred by a male. So that's the normals, two to three months. Uh, but once again, it can be years, which is just different pod for a different day by way smarter people than me.
0: Yeah, I mean, all <laughs> I remember oh, when I remember looking back at this is like the, the sperm cell binds to her reproductive tract, you know, up in the oviducts. So like in the epithelial cells there, they will bind – and then they get nutrients that way mm-hmm. and survive. And that's well, that survive that happens
1: long-term. in humans. Uh, yeah. There's reports of there of uh, sperm binding to uh, in, in uh, of human sperm mm. binding to fallopian tubes. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of the the tissue in fallopian tubes or uh, the oviduct, if you will, to receive nutrients. Um, however, humans, I think sperm maybe can live what five.
0: Seven days. Maybe you know, seven days.
1: Yeah. Uh yeah. so yeah, this not not for years. And
0: yeah.
1: and and this storing of sperm once again is different than what we've talked about with uh embryonic diapause, mm-hmm. where the egg is actually fertilized, embryogenesis has begun. So the, the cells are two, four, eight. They're dividing, and an embryo has been created and then it pauses. Then no more cell division, no more growth until. X amount of time, right. so the storing of the sperm is different than the embryonic diapause, and yeah, it makes me want to dive back into the literature and the books because um, just it nature is, is so cool. It, yeah, it is, nature is it so is. cool. It's
0: all but, a miracle.
1: But getting back to the black mamba, she'll typically lay about anywhere from six to twenty eggs, depending on the clutch size, and then the young incubate for about another two to three months after the eggs have been laid. Similar to other reptile species, uh, black mambas, the babies have like an egg tooth, which helps them break through the shell. And this is what's really crazy. So baby black mambas are about 16 to 24 inches, two feet. That's big. That's a big yeah, snake. That's <laughs> a big snake. It's like that's like a full-grown adult snake. I, mean, I know, that, I know. Yeah, well, yeah. So that was really incredible. Uh, uh, but anyways, and then of course the young, up after they're hatched, they are completely on their own. Uh, they they do have fully developed venom mm-hmm. glands. Uh, they're ready to rock and roll. So yep. even though they're baby black mambas, and they might be cute being, uh, don't touch t-
0: them. <laughs> don't
1: <laughs> touch them. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And yes, Chris, uh, you know, to answer your question, there's, there's really no parental support. The female lays the eggs and then she abandons them. She's off she goes. Mm -hmm. So the younger on their own and they must hide from some of those predators that you mentioned, uh, to stay alive.
0: Yeah. And I mean, you know, conservation wise, their least concern don't have a population number on them, but populations are stable. The concern is human development, obviously loss of habitat, So you're getting more human wildlife conflicts with these snakes, you know, uh, people running across them. So, but right now they're, they're doing okay. They're stable. Mm
1: -hmm. And that's good.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's good. It's it's good good when we have a species that's doing well, that's doing well. Absolutely. So for this week's conservation organization, we wanted to highlight the Mabula ground Hornbill project that uh, Dr. Lucy Kemp uh, is involved with. And, You know, the ground hornbills, fascinating story. Definitely listen to that interview, but talking about, you know, how they do nest in hollows of trees, but they don't go through the full molt. They depend on just more than the male. You know, there's younger ground hornbills that are helping feed her and rearing of the chicks. You know, they have, you know, generation intervals longer because the birds need to learn. They need to be taught how to hunt and, and eat. You know, black mambas, among other things. So, just fascinating, fascinating birds. And this project is working to reverse the decline of the southern ground hornbill. Lucy goes more into it about what they're doing. They're out there building these artificial nests that are going to last for for years and years and years. Uh, you know, withstand the weather, things like that. They they are out there doing census of the of the birds, and then most importantly, and this is why. These Whitley Award winners are just so amazing. Community outreach, community involvement. The, you know, she's engaging the communities there in Africa. That you know, they call these thunderbirds or rainbirds. They're very, very important uh, to the culture there. And having the locals help protect them, and protect the nests, and and protect the habitat. So the Mabula Ground Hornbill Project. Check them out the link's always on our web website now on the right hand side right at the top. Uh, you can see that. You can go to uh, their website and then look for that interview with Lucy later this week.
1: Yeah, Chris this is going to be a good one. So, everybody please check that out. I think you'll really enjoy it.
0: Yeah, and then just the conservation tip of the week was just, you know, I gave it earlier as far as when you're out in the out hiking you know, heavy footsteps. And that's not just for snakes. That's for other wildlife. You know, even like things like bears, bears will hear you, hear you coming and they'll, they'll go the other way.
1: Yeah. You it's know. fun. When we hike in the woods, we sing songs to uh, have my voice scare away the bears, <laughs>
0: <laughs> the alligators, and, yeah, all, of and all the other things that are there in Florida, uh, the Burmese pythons. Oh gosh. So, you know, just observe snakes from a distance treat them with respect they're very important you know leave them alone they'll leave you alone but thanks for listening this week and take care like we have some amazing stuff in the works
1: yes everyone thank you for listening uh we appreciate your support and we'll see you next week
0: listen learn share join the movement at allcreaturespod.com